This is Barry Knapp with Ironsides Macroeconomics. <clears throat> it's um, about 9 a.m. on Tuesday, August 29th. Um, supposedly a quiet <laughs> pre-holiday week, but uh, not so for us. Again, I apologize for putting out the weekly note on Monday morning rather than Saturday morning. We did that in order to be able to go through the four main papers presented at Jackson Hole that don't get a lot of press coverage, a lot of <clears throat> street coverage, but um, we think are really important. They've marked some critical turning points in policy in the past. For example, in 2013, it's one of our favorite stories. Um, we had just had the taper tantrum emerging market. Uh, currencies were under pressure and the economic symposium was essentially organized to um, be a bit of an anti-QE discussion. And um, it was Chairman Bernanke's last Jackson Hole, supposed to be a big soiree send-off for him, and he decided to skip it because that was his landmark policy. In 2018, we the academia, intelligentsia surrounding the Fed had a long discussion about market concentration and this whole dynamic with big tech and big pharma and all this um, potential implications of that. And uh, that was a real harbinger of what was to become with the con Cantor uh, antitrust regime change that's taking place in Washington now. You had both sides of the political spectrum arguing that uh, big was bad and maybe we needed a change in direction. So we always liked those speeches and, and like to write about them. And we did that this week. So. The note is, in essence, was a, a recap of Powell's speech, and we dug in on each of those speeches, added our own commentary, picked out some key passages, and then provided some market thoughts. So on Powell, as we expected, he maintained optionality, the idea that, well, they could hike one more time, probably not in September. But he really did acknowledge that this inflation within his inflation framework, that is core goods prices, housing services and then non-housing services where they've been saying that they'd been sticky, but finally acknowledged that over the last three and six month period that we're starting to get a real easing there too. And uh, a big part of that was their acknowledgement that wage growth had cooled, um, which brings me to this morning's labor market data um, that was decidedly weak. Um, the jolts numbers, missed estimates by a ton and last month was revised down very sharply. The quits rate is all the way back to 2.3%. It was 2.6 in May. 2.3 is back to pre-pandemic levels. That's something that Powell has mentioned in, in, during almost every speech when describing the labor market. Getting a little bit less attention was the labor differential, which is from the Conference Board Consumer Confidence Survey. Um, it had risen last month somewhat curiously in our eyes that was revised away and then it dropped very sharply um, on both the jobs plentiful and jobs hard to get components of that labor differential that actually argues the level of that which has a very tight correlation with the u3 unemployment rate and u6 unemployment rate actually argues for a u3 unemployment rate above four percent remember we're at three five and a U6 underemployment rate at 7.4, and we're at 6.7, 7, 
So we could get some real negative surprises on Friday. Frankly, after seeing that data this morning, I'd be shocked if we get strong data on Friday morning. More likely we're going to get weak data. So we're going to write up a report that'll come out later today. But um, it looks like the Fed is very much done. And um, when we get the dot plot next in the September meeting, we expect that dispersion in 2025 to start to come down. And we think we're going to see evidence that the low R starred faction of the Fed, led by uh, New York Fed President Williams, is gaining momentum. And that um, we're going to, I think we're going to start to see, may not be totally evident in the September dot plot, but might be more so in the December dot plot, that we're going to start to see expectations of rate cuts being priced into the first half of 2024, a condition we consider necessary for a strong close to the equity market at the end of this year, and a rally in the belly of the Treasury curve. Um, it also could lead to a pretty good rally in the mortgage-backed securities market. There's been lots of commentary about how mortgage rates the spread between mortgage rates and treasury yields are so high. That has everything to do with the deeply inverted yield curve and could ultimately be good news for bank stocks as well, notwithstanding some counter cyclical measures that are likely to be announced later today. So um, Powell also um, hinted for the first time that they're becoming increasingly concerned about this credit channel. <clears throat> there was none of the boilerplate language about um, uh, the banking system being strong and resilient and set, instead they commented about tightening of credit in both the banking system and non-bank sector, which was footnoted in his speech. Um, he uh, put paid to the whole raise the target argument, but the, at the same time, he also dismissed the lags are short Bullard Waller argument as well, saying, no, there's still some lags out there and we ought to be mindful of them. So that was the Powell speech. We think it was actually much more dovish than the initial interpretation by all the hawkish pundits, pundits that are really just fed speech interpreters rather than thinking ahead in terms of what's likely to come. So on the more, you know, the fed speeches and structural shifts, we like these paper papers. We'd like you to look at our notes. The first one was that monetary policy can indeed impair the supply side of the economy, particularly the most dynamic part of the U S economy, which is, innovation. And um, they went through, uh, you know, model-based analysis or quantitative analysis of the effect of monetary policy on patent uh, creation, on venture capital funding, on um, R&D investment. And it was pretty profound. And, and we've been arguing this for a long time, that the Fed's, you know, arguments that we should just focus on demand because that's what our policy impacts and it has no impact on supply. <clears throat> this was an argument against that. And um, we think it was right, you know, down, it was spot on with respect to that. The next one was on treasury market resilience. And, um, you know, it started to get at this topic that's bothered us for some time about how during the pandemic, the Fed did massive QE to try and stabilize the market functioning of the treasury and mortgage backed securities market, but then just quickly evolved that without any real analysis into QE stimulus. And um, we think ultimately it argues for far more capital markets experience on the, on the Federal Reserve. Um, the next one was on supply, uh, what they called the great reallocation of supply chains. Again, that's an argument we've been making 
And we think on balance, it will add to inflation at least incrementally. Uh, and then the final one was apparently, at least based upon what some of the Bloomberg people that were there were saying was um, uh, a bit of a um, Armageddon type speech from a really notable um, Fed historian. And uh, he talked about living with high public debt and uh, um, he's a good author, it's a good paper, it's worth reading. So uh, that's it on all that. We're gonna get that note out, but listen, this morning's data was really bullish. It was bullish for the belly of the treasury curve. Uh, it was bullish for the equity market. If it if it's confirmed by Friday's payroll data, then yeah, the Fed is done, and um, um, you know we're gonna be we're gonna be moving on from here. So that's it for me. Have a good have a good week, everyone. There's lots more coming from us this week. Very nap iron sides. Thanks.